0: what the world needs now is love more love
1: stars literally aligned he's always been the one
2: there's someone out there for
0: everyone i'm nancy Regan, your host on the canadian love map we are on a journey to uncover and share love stories of all kinds he's never forgotten to bring me flowers
1: we're hoping we're going to give a little good news to this world
2: even In these dark times, the life continues to go on.
0: It's all about compassion, devotion, adventure, and of course, love.
1: Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs love.
0: This is the Canadian Love Map.
1: Well, love is
0: the most important thing.
1: He laughed when I was attempting to make a joke, and I felt like he was excited to be in my presence. Like he felt lucky to be on a date with me and I felt lucky to be on a date with him. Recognizing that I deserve to be with someone that loved and appreciated me for the wheelchair, despite the wheelchair and all of those things.
0: Today's love story belongs to Jessica and Juan. Jessica is a baker and a small business owner with an appetite for adventure. Following a life-changing spinal cord accident, she became a quadriplegic. But Jessica's life unexpectedly changed again when she met Juan. He is a restless and soft-spoken chemical engineer from Colombia, and he was looking for someone who shared the same sense of devotion to family and friends as he did. Juan found exactly what he was looking for in Jessica, and the two have been together ever since. So just what are the ingredients for an incredible love story? You'll just have to listen to find out. This is the Canadian Love Map. Jessica and Juan, welcome to the Canadian Love Map. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Tell me, if you will, a little bit about each of your backstories. And Jessica, let's start with you because you were the impetus originally for doing this interview. Talk to me about your childhood and then uh,
1: your life-changing experience. Sure. Um, So I had a little bit of a unique childhood. I, from the age of three till 10, lived on a sailboat and my parents took my sister and I on a trip around the world for four of those seven years. So from six to 10, we were traveling uh, on that sailboat, went to 37 different countries and was homeschooled for that time. So definitely a little bit of a unique start to my childhood.
0: Wow. What is your favorite memory from that uh, trip? 37 different countries. I'm just absorbing that.
1: Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. People are like, oh, can you list them off? I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> a favorite memory is probably we went to an orangutan orphanage in Borneo. And yeah, we did like a little upriver tour with some friends and got to see like baby orangutans and interact with them. And I was a, was and am a big animal lover. So that was really cool for me. That's probably one of my favorite things we did.
0: Wow. And you had more stamps in your passport by the time you were 10 than most people ever get. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. That's wild. I mentioned your life-changing experience. Do you want to tell us about
1: that? Yeah. So uh, when I was 15, I started working for a house painting company. It was a summer job. My first sort of real summer job and I was two weeks in on the job, got to the house we were working on, decided I was going to do the high work that day. So climbed two stories up a ladder and started sort of prepping the fascia board up there and I started to feel faint and I had fainted a couple of times before. So I knew the sensation and I knew I had seconds before I was going to completely black out. And I didn't have a harness on or anything like that. So it was like, there wasn't really anything I could do in that moment. I fell two stories off that ladder when I fainted. They don't really know how long I was on the ground, but eventually the painter I was working with that day found me, called an ambulance, and quickly we discovered that I'd broken my neck in four places and had a spinal cord injury. Wow. That's
0: terrifying. I'm sure for any parent out there to think of a 15-year-old in that situation, And what was your experience in the hospital once you were given that news?
1: Uh, I think there was a lot of denial in the beginning um, and for many years after. So, I mean, I can remember seeing my dad like completely losing his temper with a nurse because she had just told us that I I would never walk again and kind of not understanding why he was so angry because I just wasn't able to absorb that information at that time. and. I think the first, I want to say, like couple years, I was just so focused on proving to everyone that I was going to be all right um, and, you know, thinking that there might be some sort of miracle and I might walk again that I didn't really allow myself to to fully understand just how much my life was going to change. And it was maybe... Honestly, like eight years after I had the accident that I started sort of my mental health journey and seeing a therapist and working through some of that. And that's honestly when I really recognized how much I had been through and yeah, that this was going to be my my new normal and I just had to make the most of it.
0: And it sounds like you really shifted gears then. Yeah. Mentally and in terms of mindset.
1: Yeah, I think I have always had the mindset of, I'm going to make the most of this. Give me a challenge. I'll find a way to make it work. I have an incredible community of people around me. My family is awesome, and they've never let the accident be an excuse for me to not be able to do something. So, my sister has dragged me up hundreds and hundreds of stairs since I've had my accident to get me into places that I wouldn't be able to get to otherwise. And I think just having those people around me, I have always felt like this isn't going to stop me from living the life I want to live. But more recently, like the last five years, I've, I've allowed myself to actually feel some of the hard emotions while, while still keeping that mentality in my life.
0: Mm -hmm. I understand you have a a desire often to prove people wrong in a good (laughs) way. How did that manifest in your journey?
1: I think the word that I always fall back to is stubborn. (laughs) People have called me it many a time, sometimes lovingly, sometimes maybe less so. But uh, I really look at that as a big part of the reason that I have been able to overcome the challenges that I faced since having that accident. There have been lots of doors that people wanted to close (laughs) um, along my journey. And I've just... I've really relied on that stubbornness to sort of push that door open or find another way in or whatever that might be. And um, The biggest thing that that led to was me starting my baking business, which is called The Stubborn Baker. I love the name. And people must ask you about the name a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. it's not It's not something that I have like a quick, like one sentence answer to either. So people are like, oh, why The Stubborn Baker? And I'm like, how long do you have? (laughs) But uh, yeah, I guess the short answer is just a reflection of some of the challenges that I've faced being an individual with a disability, trying to start a small business.
0: Taking you back just a moment, I believe that part of your
1: stubbornness was responsible for your choice of a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I was initially injured going through rehab, there was definitely people that suggested maybe a power chair would make more sense for me. I I didn't say in the beginning, but I'm a quadriplegic from where I had my spinal cord injury. So that means that I have impairment to all four limbs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that means that you can't use your arms at all, but that's not the case. It just means I don't have full function in my hands. For some quadriplegics, a power chair does make more sense because it allows them to be independent in a way that they couldn't be. But I was fortunate to have a physiotherapist that pushed me towards a manual chair and helped me to understand how much more independent I'd be able to be if I could push myself past that in the beginning. And so, yeah, even though I wasn't able to move like 10 feet in a manual chair to start, I just kept relying on that stubbornness and eventually got to a point where I was strong enough to push the chair. And now I'm very grateful to be able to use a manual wheelchair and have that independence in my life because of it.
0: And would you say that decision
1: of yours impacted a lot of other areas of your life? Mhm, definitely. I think in the beginning it was hard to understand like why are you pressuring me to use a manual wheelchair over a power chair? A power chair would make things so much easier. That was definitely how my family felt especially looking at the situation from the outside. And then when I look at all the things I've been able to do and the stairs that people have had to pull me up and the cars that I've had to be able to transfer into and the random curbs, even in Vancouver that aren't wheelchair accessible, that I've had to be able to drop down or get pulled up or whatnot. It's just, it's allowed me to travel and do those sorts of things that unfortunately, because power wheelchairs are just so heavy, that is a limiting factor for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about your love life. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get back to the stubborn baker later, because that's also, I know, a passion and part of the love story. But uh, tell me about how your love life developed to the point at which you
1: met Juan. Okay. (laughs) After I had my accident, I met somebody that I was in a relationship with for seven years, um, and that served its purpose for that time but eventually we got to a point where we sort of recognized that we weren't growing together we were growing apart more so Mm -hmm. so that relationship came to an end and I was faced with the self-doubt and I guess anxiety around what it looked like to be a person in a wheelchair dating and what other people would think about it um And yeah, just a little bit of a journey in self-love as well, I think, and recognizing that I deserve to be with someone that loved and appreciated me for the wheelchair, despite the wheelchair and all of those things. So Mm -hmm. I uh, began my foray into online dating. (laughs) It sounds like you're cringing a little when you say that. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of a cringe, yes. Had a few. Frogs, before we found our prince. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, started online dating and eventually uh, met Juan through Tinder, the most romantic of all the dating apps. <laughs> I love it.
0: We're hearing that more often on the Canadian Love Map when we talk to couples, for the record. You are not okay. alone. Tell me about your story, Juan.
2: Well, I'm from Colombia, normal hope I had a little brother. We are Five years apart. He's younger than me. Um, I did uh, engineering back home, so I'm a chemical engineer. And then uh, I started working. Um, I used to work on the oil industry. And 2016, there was one of those many oil crises uh, uh, that every other year happened. And then, so yeah, I decided I want to kind of like move out and learn a different language and see a different culture and be fully immersed in a different culture is just different, right? And then so um initially I was thinking Australia, uh, but you know, my mom especially, she would be like, oh, you know, it's too far, whatever. She had friends here, so uh it was either here or in Alberta, coming from a tropical country, I'm like I'm not gonna go to <laughs> minus thirty degrees. So
0: British Columbia seemed a little bit more reasonable.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's good to see, you know, to have the the water and the ocean and, you know, like having the lakes and mountains, everything around in Vancouver. So it's nice. And uh, yeah, I came to give it a try and I didn't know what to expect. And uh, one year later I met Jess and then we're here. Now we're here.
0: (laughs) What was your first real life date like?
2: We went out for brunch. So Jess was uh, camping with um one of her friends for uh, a couple of weeks, I think.
1: Yeah, the week before we went on our first date, a friend of mine and I went to Yellowstone. So Juan and I had been talking and we're really enjoying each other's company. And then it was like, hey, I'm going with one of my friends. I'm not going to be able to talk to you at all. But then we came back a couple of days early and I messaged him and he was like, well, Maybe we can go on a date tomorrow. <laughs> Let's push this up. Let's stop waiting. And yeah, we went there for, for brunch at Granville Island. And I love to tell people that I knew he was a little bit nervous because he ordered his eggs benedict with the eggs scrambled, which uh <laughs> a
2: little unusual. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I It's just different. Right? Like it's, uh,
0: yeah. What was your rapport like on that first date?
1: I think both of us were a little bit nervous but it still mm-hmm. felt kind of easy I don't mm-hmm. know it felt easy to me at least I yeah, yeah. want to speak for you
2: no and and one of the things that I tell my family and friends is how you know like we've been together for mm-hmm. seven years and, and it still feels that way like we're not forcing anything right so mm-hmm. it's nice you know we don't really need to force anything
1: we just like each other yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's
0: pretty <laughs> great right. easy is a great description for a relationship i think a lot of people yeah. wouldn't be able to apply that to theirs i would say
1: yeah i feel like i had been on so many dates where i felt like i was like on a job interview or i had to be the interviewer to force some information out of them and I was like making my sarcastic jokes that I love to make and they were landing flat. And it was just like, (laughs) he laughed when I was attempting to make a joke. And I felt like he was excited to be with like in my presence. Like he felt lucky to be on a date with me and I felt lucky to be on a date with him.
0: Oh, that's the secret, isn't it? When each of you think that you're the lucky one.
2: Yeah.
1: Tell me
0: about how the relationship developed from there. The first
1: moment where I was like texting my friends to be like, Oh my God, I feel like this guy could actually be like someone I want to keep around. Was on our second date. Wow. Um, I know, right? That's a little fast. Um, I had told him that I always skipped breakfast. Like I ran out of time. And he was like, Oh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You can't skip breakfast. And then on our second date, he showed up and he had like all of these breakfast foods that he had brought for me. And he had texted me being like, oh, I bought you this huge teddy bear. I'm so excited to give it to you. And I was like, oh my God, why would I want a teddy bear? That's so stupid. (laughs) Like totally thinking like, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't get me at all. And then he showed up with the like breakfast array of foods. And I was like, oh, this guy totally does get me. (laughs) And
0: there was no teddy bear?
1: No teddy bear. Thank goodness. Oh,
2: that (laughs) is so funny. And then you went on another trip. You went to Shushwat Lake, I think. We had to have our date in the middle of the week.
1: Yeah. We started dating in the summer, so it was like I was gone every other weekend or going on trips with friends and whatnot. So it was like, okay, we got to cram as many dates in <laughs> as we can. I'm here for three days. Let's go. So Juan, when do, you, when do you think you
0: were making that assessment? Like, hey, this woman is for me.
2: The first couple of years when someone is a newcomer to a different country are like challenging. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, yeah, I guess I was going through like, uh, you know, all the immigration and work challenges, challenges, and I, I guess a lot of things happened at the same time. And Jess was like fully supported. I've never felt like this supported by anyone other than my family. That was a big thing for me. So we went on a trip to Cuba and Bahamas. And that was the first time, probably that we went out with her family. like my mom will used to say, "Oh, you know you don't, you don't just marry one person, you married the family, whatever, right? Yes. So it's different when you're just hanging out with your with her parents, and now you put more people in the picture. it's just it's different, and it, went, it was such a nice trip, so that was kind of like the breaking point for me to know that that was it.
1: Right. When did you know that was it, Jess? I don't feel like I have the same, like, one distinguishing moment. I feel like as soon as I had, like, intro- introduced him to all of the important people in my life and saw that he was natural with them and that they got along well, then I knew, like, okay, this isn't just me being infatuated or whatever, being in the honeymoon stage. I think this is actually a person that fits in my life. And I like I think my friends and family love me a lot and are maybe a little overly protective of me because of what we've been through together Mm -hmm. So for them to accept him and deem him worthy of being with me. (laughs) uh, That was a that was a pretty big sign for me that this person was pretty special.
0: We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. So, eventually, you go on a special trip to Disney. Disney World or Disneyland?
1: Disneyland. Oh. Yes.
0: Yeah. Tell me about <laughs> that.
2: Yeah.
1: So, I think that trip was a, a Christmas gift, right? Yeah, it was. It was a
2: Christmas gift, yeah, yeah. So,
1: Juan gave me the trip as a Christmas gift, and then we ended up going end of August of that same year.
2: Bahamas was in April. Yeah. And then... I would say later in August, that's the same year that we're going to engage, 2019, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so 2019. We were going to San Francisco after the trip, so my parents were going to come, Juan's parents were going to come so they could meet finally too. They were coming from Colombia?
0: Yeah. Wow, this was big. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I knew about that, and then my best friend and her partner were coming with us for the whole trip, or just a no, couple just, days? No, just
2: just that, just those couple of days. Yeah,
1: there was a couple of days where they were going to meet us in Disneyland.
2: So they were actually going on their own trip, and then so yeah, they just planned around to be with us on Disneyland that day. Mm-hmm. They knew what was going to happen, uh-huh.
1: so they all knew. And Juan's parents were there, and they knew. My parents weren't there yet, and I had no idea. I had zero expectations. Juan and I had talked about getting married and like getting engaged. And we had talked about waiting because we were going through the immigration steps and it just seemed easier to finish all of that stuff before we got engaged. It was so funny. The night before he proposed to me, I dreamt that he proposed and I woke up that morning and I was like, oh my God, I had the weirdest dream. I dreamt that you proposed to me last night and like saw no reaction from him. (laughs) And then, yeah, we were off to the side of the Disney castle. There's like a little wishing well there. And we're taking a photo and then he was behind me down on one knee and everybody was like pretending to take our photo. And then I look behind me and he's down on one knee with his ring box. And I'm like, is this a joke? Are you serious? (laughs) I I fully didn't expect it at all. And I, I think honestly, in that moment when I was like beyond excited and grateful, I was like, I was so sure that this was the right person for me because being so caught off guard and like having no expectation of it at all. And my reaction being like, oh my God, yes, this is definitely what I want. That was like such a solidifying moment for me to know like, oh, even without overthinking it, like just in being in the moment, this was what I wanted. And yeah, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with.
0: A sense of certainty. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he had
1: been acting so weird that day at the park. I was like, I was like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And he was just nervous, obviously. And then, yeah, it all made sense.
0: Poor one, I want to know, how did you react when she said that morning, I had a dream that you proposed to me?
2: I don't quite remember. I was like, yeah, okay.
1: He seemed like bored. Like he, I honestly, I was like, Oh God, I wonder if he's not thinking about it. Like the way he reacted. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, Ooh. I shouldn't have told yeah. him that.
2: Yeah. I didn't want to. <laughs> you
1: know, give anything away. Yeah. That is so great. And so has the marriage already happened? Yeah. We got married last summer on August 20th. So we had an extra long engagement because of COVID. We postponed Mm -hmm. two years because we knew we wanted to do the big wedding, but yeah, last year we
0: got to do it. Do you have a favorite story together?
1: (laughs) Yeah, We were talking about this one because, uh, uh, there's so many sometimes that when you get asked that question, it's like, well, how do you pick just one? But we did come to one that I love and I think one will tolerate. <laughs> okay. I'm <So> curious. <laughs> my first trip to Colombia when I was going to meet his family, it was maybe eight months after we started dating. It was pretty yeah. early on. One of his best friends was getting married. Um, so we were going for the wedding and he, booked the flights and got everything organized and whatnot. Um, and how long before the wedding did we realize? Like
2: a week before it was like yeah. really soon.
1: Like a week before the wedding, we realized that he booked the flight for the day of the wedding instead of the day before the wedding.
2: <laughs> yeah, I look at, yeah, I got confused with the dates.
1: So we ended up getting into Colombia at like 12 in the morning. Uh, the like we missed the ceremony but the reception was going on so we went like from the airport i met his parents for the first time in the airport they picked us up at 12 a.m i got changed on the airplane like into my wedding attire doing my makeup like we don't speak the same language i my spanish is coming along but not very good and his parents don't speak english so like navigating the language barriers first time meeting all of these things i'm like we stop so Juan can get changed at his parents' house. And he leaves me in the car alone with his mom. And I'm like, desperate for anything to say. And this lady walks by in high heels. And I know how to say tall shoes. So I say that in Spanish. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, oh, yes. High heels. Oh, man. And then yeah, straight to the wedding. And I, I met his friend. I was like, one in the morning by the time we got there and then we spent the rest of the night having a dance party and it was crazy yeah
0: <laughs> that's that's interesting because you may not speak the language but music is something that everybody can understand in the same way so right. yeah. yeah the dance party would be great um <laughs> I, okay i want to go back to the stubborn baker business if you don't mind
1: when did mm-hmm. you start that jess October of 2019, I moved into my commercial kitchen space. So when you were already with Juan? Yeah. So Juan and I started dating right when I was transitioning from my job as an event planner to start pastry school.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So why start a baking business?
1: Great question. (laughs) (laughs) You wonder that sometimes? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Some days I wonder. I've spent the last three days pulling like 15-hour shifts to get a massive order done. So... Right now, I'm especially asking myself that question. (laughs) I've always loved baking. After I had my accident, I was looking for new hobbies. Before the accident, most of my hobbies were sports. And so I took some cake decorating classes, fell in love with it, started baking for friends and family for the last 15 years, basically. I never thought that it was going to be a career. I always thought it was a hobby. So I went to SFU, got an English degree, thought I was going to be a teacher finished that program. I'd been playing wheelchair rugby. So that was also something I thought maybe I would pursue, like on a bigger scale. So I took a year to train just for wheelchair rugby, see if I could make the national team. Unfortunately, I couldn't. (laughs) And then moved into the event planning job. And while I was there, I just all this time baking was like the thing that I turned to for comfort, for fun. It's my like safe space, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about going to pastry school and having that be like a next step. So I started to look for schools and reached out to a couple. First one I talked to said, no, they weren't willing to accommodate somebody in a wheelchair. I'd been to this space before and knew like that I could physically get in there. So it was technically wheelchair accessible, but I don't know what their reasons were. They didn't go into it, but they just wow. said no. That's that's so more that than disappointing.
0: disappointing.
1: <laughs> yeah, very oh. discouraging. Uh, another one, I just looked into taking a class, and they said, sure, but you'd have to pay for two spots because you'll take up double the room.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> uh,
1: so also discouraging. <sighs> um, and then finally, I ended up <laughs> reaching out to VCC and meeting with their disability coordinator, went in there and... Um, spoke with the man in charge of the program. And he said, you know, we've never had somebody in a wheelchair take this program before. But if you are telling me you think you can do it, then we're here to help figure out how to make that happen. So that was a very relieving experience after all of the (laughs) really negative ones. And yeah, I ended up getting into the program. They built me an adjustable workstation. That was the only accommodation that they made for me. And yeah, finished that program and then had the tough decision of deciding whether I wanted to, you know, look to work for somebody else or start my own business. And because I'm so passionate about the decorating side of baking, and most of the entry level pastry chef jobs are a lot of mass production of muffins and cookies and things like that, which mm-hmm. doesn't bring me a whole lot of joy, I decided I would start my own business and control of what sort of work I was going to take on and build my brand around that.
0: And what was Juan's reaction when you
1: were making that decision? What was his voice saying? His voice has always been, I'm here to support you in whatever you choose to pursue. Whether that makes no financial sense at all, I'm still here to support you. Whether that means that you're going to be working some 18-hour days and I'm going to get to see less of you, I'm still here to support you whether that means you're going to be crazy half the time, I'm still here to support you. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, that's obviously something I absolutely love about him is he's always had my back and never been a voice saying, no, I don't think you should do that.
0: One has it been exciting for you to see her live out and explore this dream?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Other than the free cookies. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I. Every time I have the chance, I tell Jess how proud I am of her, like the way she's been growing her business on her own, because this is uh, one woman army and a little helper, you know? <laughs> so uh, uh, the way she's, you know, like she has, she's super busy. She has big companies asking her to do uh, cookies, cakes, whatever for, for them. That's, uh, that's amazing. And that's... the it's definitely something that you can only get when you're talented. I'm happy for her. And then yeah, I try to tell her every time I can.
0: If Juan has a sweet tooth and you love to bake, that must be a love language between you. What do you love to make for him?
1: I mean, honestly, anything. <laughs> <laughs> he is sweet tooth, is big enough that it doesn't have to be anything special. He will go for it.
2: I think for my birthday, you made... um...
1: I make cheesecake most often for you, I guess. Yeah.
2: But you made... I saw this cake that it was like... Oh, yeah. A brownie cookie cake or something like that.
1: He always sends me like the most ridiculous, annoying things, of course, that I don't want to make at all. So it's an ultimate expression of love because uh, (laughs) they're difficult or things that I'm not excited about. And I still make them for him (laughs) because... I love them. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think it was. I think it was like a cheesecake, but the bottom, of the crust, was like cookie. It was
1: a layer of chocolate chip cookie, a layer of brownie, and a layer of cheesecake. And yeah. somehow you have to bake them all so they're the right doneness. Yeah, yeah.
2: Wow.
0: So, okay. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> now I'm hungry. Gee, you know, I can't help but think of my friend Rick Hansen, who has been a guest on this podcast with his wife Amanda. And Rick had the, you know, the experience of of having a role model who really helped him along the way. And now, of course, he's been a role model to so many Canadians. But Jess, you are too. I'm sure that must be a significant thing for you to have the opportunity to be a role model for not just younger people like you were when you had your accident, but anyone living in a wheelchair, for instance, or with a disability.
1: I am aware of the fact that some people feel like disability is a limitation, and I take it very seriously in that I am here to prove to people that that is not the case (laughs) and doesn't need to be the case. And I don't think anybody living with a disability should allow that sort of societal perception to soak in or hold them back in any way. I hope that I live my life in a way that proves to people that that's not the case.
0: Right on. As a final question, what do you love most about each other?
1: The biggest thing for me has been the parts of myself that I've had a hard time learning to love. I feel like he has loved from the beginning and made me feel like those parts were just as special as the parts of me that I thought were deserving of being loved. (laughs) Wow. That might just be the best answer ever.
0: (laughs) Uh, Juan that's a tough act to follow but I'm going to ask you too could I come first (laughs) (laughs) exactly what do you love most about Jess
2: I was a very um, maybe not distant but I will say I will take care of myself and my family first so I really love from Jess that she's totally selfless like she she sees a person who needs help, and she won't hesitate to, to go and help, right, and, and be supportive. Uh, uh, and, and that's something that I'm still, you know, working on, and I see her as, a, as an example to, to do. So, yeah, that's one big thing that I really love of her.
0: That's beautiful. What does the future have in store for you two, do you think?
1: Time will tell. <laughs> no, I think we, we've we talked about, we don't know whether or not we want to have kids yet. So I won't say it's going to be children, but I think we've talked about just wanting to grow our life together and build a home and travel and mm. collect life experiences and make sure that our relationship remains a priority as so many distractions happen in life. I think that's been a a big thing that we've, that my business has made challenging at times. Um, So we've had to practice and yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just remembering that we're doing this together and making sure that we're on the same team and supporting each other and wherever we end up. Yeah. Yeah. A little cottage on Pender Island one of these days, hopefully. (laughs) By
2: a lake. Yeah. yeah.
1: If you were,
0: so I know, Jess, you traveled so much when you were a kid. Um, Is there one place that both of you have agreed that is kind of a bucket list item? If I could just grant you a wish, where would you go tomorrow?
1: I mean, recently we've been talking about Maldives.
2: Yeah, or what is that? The Fr- French Polynesia. French Polynesia.
1: Somewhere tropical with beautiful ocean, a lot of sun. Um, we're, we haven't gone on our honeymoon yet, and so we're talking about Italy for that. And the list is very, very long, but those are kind of the top right now. Yeah, yeah. We're going to Colombia together in three weeks.
2: Yeah, a month,
1: yeah. A month, yeah. So that's our next trip. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been so nice to chat with you. Thanks so
0: much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. We love sharing love stories of all kinds, and that could include yours. So do you or someone you know have an uplifting tale to tell? Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram using at Canadian Love Map or email producer at podstarter.io. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map.